As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. And guess what? I am not joined this week by Doug Glanville. Doug's travel adventures are getting more harrowing by the week. That's that's about the best way we can put this. So instead, playing the role of professor and former major leaguer this week is my good friend Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Ken, thanks for making yet another trip to Starkville this week. Or maybe they didn't even let you leave the first time. It's my pleasure, Jason, and I can't think of which role I am least qualified for <laughs> professor or major leaguer or least likely there was no chance i would ever be either i guess less of a chance i'd be a major leaguer so i will go there but i was never going to be a professor either no chance <laughs> i was actually going to ask you that very question you don't think former major leaguer or professor describes anything about you anyone who's ever taken a look at me would know former major leaguer was not in the equation. Now, I might be the same approximate vertical size as Jose Altuve, but that's the last thing we have in common. And as for professor, any one of my teachers in elementary, middle, high school, or college could assure you that wasn't happening either. All right, well, we're just going to have to muddle along as best we can here without either a professor or a former major leaguer, but we can do that. Because we have another great show coming up with or without Doug. Uh, Jeff Francoeur, the witty and insightful voice of the Braves and TBS, is going to join us to talk about the hottest team in baseball that is not named the Yankees. We have some really fun trivia with the great Paul Hembo, Hembikides from ESPN. Ken is going to 
uh, be stuck with trying to do that, play the trivia game. But first off, we get to talk baseball with Ken Rosenthal. So, Ken, I, I would love to chat with you um, about where you were over the weekend and then where you'll be next weekend. Then we'll talk a little about a piece I wrote last week about Cal Ripken's Ironman streak and whether any feat today could possibly have that same power. But start with where you just were. You just covered Cardinals, Red Sox at Fenway for Fox, where the Albert Pujols pregame ceremony was so cool. You know, I just couldn't understand watching it why more teams have not been honoring Albert, one of the greatest players we've ever seen. Am I right? I don't understand, Jason, why more teams haven't jumped on this. And I imagine now it's going to start. And teams understand that, oops, we blew it. Certain teams, that is. Tampa Bay was one. Kansas City was another. Kansas City, where Albert grew up. For whatever reason, these clubs just did not see the historic implication here i can't even imagine what the answer might have been and they can call up and complain to us when they hear this but at the same time what the red sox did saturday night which was completely unexpected from my perspective i did not know this was coming they had a pregame ceremony and they brought out to greet one of the greatest dominican hitters of all time one of the other greatest dominican hitters of all time that would be big poppy david ortiz who has a little bit of name recognition in boston And that moment was really cool. They embraced, and I saw Albert after the game. And I went up to Albert, and I said, Albert, that was really cool. And his face, Jason, lit up. And you don't often see Albert's face light up. Yeah. But it did, and the reason he was so excited about it, one, was that it happened, and it was really cool, and also that Ortiz surprised him. He said that he had been trying to reach Ortiz for three days Basically to say, hey, David, I'm coming for, coming to Boston. Let's get together. And Ortiz did not pick up his phone. Now, that's not an ex- exactly shocking development that Big Poppy didn't pick up his phone. But not picking up his phone for Albert Pujols is a little bit more shocking. So eventually this moment happened. And it wasn't the only cool moment of the night, Jason. When Albert came up to pinch hit in the eighth, huge ovation, standing ovation, at Fenway Park, mind you, visiting player. Granted, the game was out of hand by that point. And everyone had their cameras out or their phones out and taking videos of the moment. And the whole night was just one of those reminders of why we love the game, the history, and just the meaning of certain players. It was just a really cool experience. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad you were there. And, you know, I've actually been writing about this now for off and on for a couple of years. Um, when you start to look at what Albert has done, the names of the legends he passes on every all-time list. Um, You you know, we're not just talking about another player. We're we're seriously talking about one of the greatest players of our lifetime. And I don't know if it's because uh, the way he went from Angels to Dodgers to Cardinals, couldn't really get a job for a while this this winter, it seemed like. Um, But... Teams have been missing that. America has been missing that. It's time to celebrate the career of one of the legends. And I hope you're right. I hope I hope this start that this does start that ball rolling. Well, I'll say this too, Jason, and I've written this a few times in recent years. It bothers me greatly that 
a lot of people's perceptions of Albert are of the guy he was with the Angels. And that's the way our world works, right? It's what have you done for me lately? It's short attention spans and all of that. But at the same time, let's not lose sight of who he was and what his meaning is to the sport overall. And I know on Twitter, you know, again, it's what have you done for me lately? But my goodness, look at the career and understand who this player was. And that's what we're supposed to do, not just as reporters, but as fans too. You're supposed to have a little bit bigger picture (laughs) than the one that's right in front of you. So at least intelligent fans do. And it bothers me a lot that maybe younger fans only thought of this guy as the overpaid guy with the Angels, right? And yes, he did not have a great run with the Angels. There's no question about that. No one would argue that. But those first 10 years will go down in history as among the greatest first 10 years any player has ever had. And the vast accomplishments, the broader accomplishments of his career still rank, as you just said, Jason, among the all-time greats. Let, let me let me uh, spin the ball forward now to ask you about the series uh, you're going to this weekend. Uh, this is a series that I guarantee is going to be the talk of baseball. I, I know we got a week of really fascinating series around the game, but Dodgers heading to Atlanta for the return of that Freddie Freeman guy. Uh, we'll talk more <laughs> about this with Jeff Rancourt, obviously, but you know, you've written a lot uh, over the last few months about the events that led to Freddie not returning to Atlanta. I'm still not sure I totally understand what happened there. What's your take now, three months later? Jason, it's funny you say that because I really haven't written as much as I probably should have on this. And my take all these months later is not much different than it's been all along. He should be in Atlanta. That is what should have happened. And it didn't happen. And why it didn't happen depends on who you talk to. (laughs) If you talk to Freddie Freeman's agents, they will say, hey, and not on the record. These are private conversations, but this is the rough thing, what's going on. They'll say, "Ah, we don't really think the Braves wanted him. Look, other teams offered more. The Tampa Bay Rays offered more. That's true. You talk to Braves people, and they don't know that Freddie's agents directed him properly. They think that maybe he, they wanted him out or going to a place with the top dollar. Now, both sides will deny that if they're asked about it. But this is the impression I got from talking to them, both sides, that both sides blame the other. And <laughs> there's no real accountability on either side for what happened. And while it ended well for Freddie, still, it, he got a really good deal. No question about it. He's basically home in Los Angeles now, and I'm sure he's going to be happy and is happy. But we talk about the meaning of a player staying with one team his entire career. There is meaning to that. There is value to that, both for the team and for the player. And in my opinion, again, this should not have transpired the way it did. That's all I'll say. I don't have an opinion on who's right or who's wrong, Jason, because I don't know the truth. I don't know exactly what happened. I've heard Boy, my ears are still burning from hearing it all these months. But I can't sit here and say I know for sure how this went down. It certainly seems like the communication wasn't what it should have been, and the relationship wasn't what it should have been, and that is why ultimately he landed in Los Angeles. Yeah, there is a disconnect there. I mean, when you talk about how there's value in that, I think 
Freddie was well aware, keenly aware of that value. I think he, that mattered to him. And so, you know, when I said earlier I, I, I was confused by what happened, that's not really accurate. Um, I'm more confused by how it ended. Um, you know, we had Alex Anthopoulos on this show to explain it from his end. But my lingering question is, why didn't Alex reach out to Freddie personally one last time before he made the Matt Olson trade? That could either have been to give Freddie one last chance to make something happen with the Braves or just to let him know that trade was going down so it wasn't such a shock. What's your take on that? I would agree with that, Jason. And again, Alex gave a very passionate, detailed explanation on your podcast. I listened to it. I've heard it off the podcast as well. <laughs> and I've talked with the agents and representatives from Freddie's side, and they feel just as strongly in their own way about what happened as Alex does. So again, that's why I say I don't really know exactly what to believe. But at the same time, yes, it was all very sudden at the end. Freddie was somewhat blindsided. I think that's fair to say because he didn't expect ultimately this to end the way it did. Now, that might speak to communication between him and his agents. It might speak to communication between him and the Braves. Again, I'm not sure, but man, <laughs> it ended up well for the Braves, I thought. All things considered, they got a really good player who was younger, who they ultimately signed long term. But I'll repeat. And I think Braves fans would agree, and I'll bet even certain Dodger fans agree. Freddie Freeman should be in Atlanta. Yeah, it's just like it's going to work out fine. Both teams have the look of playoff teams. It'd be incredible if they wound up playing each other in October. Not impossible, but it's the wrong script. It's not the script we were supposed to get. And That's right. It kind of transitions into um, the the whole story of Cal Ripken, um, which I wrote about last week in The Athletic, wrote about his Ironman streak, which began 40 years ago last month. Um, and, you know, one of the things about that, and I, I want to ask you a, a bunch of things about this, but one of the things about that moment that made it so meaningful and this came through loud and clear talking to everybody about it was that Cal spent his whole career with one team. You know, it made him the right man on the right team, chasing the right record in the right moment. Um, you talked about the value of being that one franchise player. Does anybody in recent memory embody it more than Cal Ripken Jr.? I'm not sure anyone does. And remember, that one team was his hometown team. Right. So he was playing in a place, Baltimore, that perceived itself as this blue-collar place. He was the ultimate blue-collar player, and it was the perfect union of city and individual in that sense. And that story you wrote, Jason, really brought back a lot of memories for me. And as your stories so often do was really good food for thought because I started thinking about all the possibilities you presented and the idea that a record could mean that much today as that did at that moment in time. Now, it was funny. After I retweeted the story, one of my wonderful Twitter followers <laughs> replied, ah, that wasn't a big deal outside of Baltimore. <laughs> right. I had to laugh. 
That that was one of the most absurd comments I've ever seen. And to prove my point or to demonstrate my point, when was the last time you saw both the president of the United States and the vice president at the same sporting event? Now, granted, it was Baltimore. It was 45 minutes north of Washington, D.C. That doesn't happen, folks. It happened that night, and it was a national event. It was on ESPN, a special ESPN broadcast. There were writers from all over the country in that press box in Camden Yards that night. This was back in the day when newspapers actually traveled to events like this. And it was a hugely meaningful and important moment, not just for baseball, but for the country's love of baseball. Because after the strike, of course, that love had diminished. So it was a huge thing. And I'm still not sure, Jason, if any of the possibilities you listed would have the same kind of meaning one because hopefully none of them would be coming off a work stoppage and two i just don't know if anything could be quite like that again yeah well we'll we'll talk about it but when you when you mentioned that you know two really important people were at that game i i don't think first the president and the vice president I think of you and me. We, we were both there. And I still remember walking into the park that afternoon before the game, thinking to myself, how good is this really going to be? You know, we know exactly what's going to happen. We even know when it's going to happen in the middle of the fifth inning, as soon as the game's official. And then, somehow or other, it turned into one of the most emotional and memorable nights I think either of us have ever spent at a ballpark and so let's let's start there what what's your recollection not just of that night but what about that night made it so powerful jason you nailed it and that is what was so crazy about it we all knew it was coming and then when the moment hit it was still overwhelming now there was a lot going into the emotions of the night it was yes the hometown kid breaking this record And a record that really was built on what? Hard work. Showing up at work. Everyone Mm -hmm. could respect that and understand it. I know baseball is not like a nine-to-five job, but in some ways, physically, it's more difficult, okay? So that was part of it. Another part of it was the person whose record he was breaking, and that was Lou Gehrig. And Lou Gehrig, of course, died a tragic death from a disease that we are still fighting and talking about to this day. ALS. And that added to the emotion of it for me. And just the whole scene, the beauty of Camden Yards, the way he reacted, the victory lap he took around the stadium when he got pushed out of the dugout by Palmero and Benia, it was just all so magical. And I don't often use that word. We see games every day and crazy stuff happens that you chronicle every week. (laughs) I don't know that often magical stuff happens. That was a magical night. And I've said this many times before, Jason. I'll say it until I'm done doing whatever it is we do. (laughs) But that night will stand as the highlight of my career. And there's not even a close second. All these World Series I've done for Fox and Olympics. That night was above all. Like, that's amazing. What an amazing thing you just said. And I, I really feel the same way. I, I got asked this recently myself. Like, what's a, what's a game, a regular season game that you were at that you think about all the time? And it's that game. And I wrote about it in that, in that piece. But the, fact, the way the Orioles 
handled that. Yes. Um, you know, so understated compared to how any team would handle any record today. Um, there, it, there was not a bunch of noise and bells and whistles and lasers and fireworks. They unfurled a number on the warehouse wall and people cried for 20 minutes because yes. of the meaning of the number. You, you literally, before your eyes, you saw Lou Gehrig's iconic Iron Man number disappear and, and be replaced by Cal Ripken's newly iconic Iron Man number. And there's, I, I thought that night, I still think there, there's no other number in any other sport that would have that meeting where you could do that and people would react the same. So that brings us to the, the, the piece I wrote. And the question I pose, which is what could possibly happen now in baseball that could have that same powerful emotional appeal that that record and that night had? And, you know, I, I nominated somebody making a run at Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. I actually mentioned a bunch of different records, but that was the one that seemed like it worked for everybody. What do you think? Do you think that would do it? Would, would America be caught up in that? The way we, the way they once got caught up in the record chases of yesteryear. Well, I don't know. Brian Kenny would be on MLB Network telling us it doesn't matter. So I don't know exactly how people would react. <laughs> we, but well, I would, I'd be happy to set them straight on that. Yeah, I'd be happy to set them straight as well. <laughs> I think Jason, even that now it would depend on the player and the circumstances, and just how it was all going down. That would certainly get people's attention. And it would be a big deal. There's no doubt about that because of Joe DiMaggio and who he was. And that record has stood for so many years, decades. And yet at the same time, I don't know if the same emotion would be attached. I can't say for sure. We don't know for sure because we don't know how it would be and when it would happen, who it would be, all of that. But certainly that would be something people got very excited about and would follow and it would be really cool from that perspective. Yeah, it's a day, you know it's a day-to-day drama, much like Ripken Streak was a day-to-day story, and uh, you know there's nothing better than that in sports. Then you know you just you're you're hanging on your your laptop or your phone or your iPad or your TV screen, wondering like I just I was kind of ruminating about Freddie Freeman being the guy. Did Freddie Freeman get a hit tonight? Or you wake up in the morning and the first thing you ask is, hey, did Freddie Freeman get a hit last night? And that would be really fun if you had, again, the right player in the right town. It's the right record. You know, there's a romance to that record. Nobody has come close. Pete Rose, in in the 81 years since that record, Pete Rose is the only player who's gotten within two weeks of DiMaggio, and that was over four decades ago. So... I would love to see it. I'd love to see what happened. <laughs> I, I don't know. The way the, the way the sport's going, though, it's hard enough to get a hit, let alone a hit in 56 <laughs> in a row. But let, let me ask you so about one more. And we'll move on. Um, since I wrote this piece, a guy named Aaron Judge just keeps pounding home runs. Mm. And several people have reached out to me and said, you know what? If, 
if Judge makes a run at 60 or 61 or 62 or 65 homers, let alone 70 or 73, that might be the thing. Because, hey, he's a Yankee. A lot of people still look at Roger Maris' 61 as the quote-unquote real home run record. And in fact, it is still a record. It's the American League record that Maris holds. So it might actually represent what we've been talking about. Right man, right team, right moment, right record. How powerful do you think that could be? Powerful. And it would be something that, again, people paid attention to. Now, of course, whenever there's a Yankee involved, you have the anti-Yankee factor. So in <laughs> this case, that actually would enhance the moment because yes, people would have strong that. emotions from that perspective. But again, how would people view it compared to the Ripken record? I don't know that it would be the same. It would be very exciting for the sport. And heck, it's been pretty exciting for two and a half months watching this guy do what he's done. True. So I expect that if he got to 55, say, by September 1st, we'd have a fun month of September watching Aaron Judge, just how far he could go. And yes, people are captivated by him. He is a larger-than-life figure on and off the field. He seems to have a grace about him, right? Kind of Jeter-esque, where he's never in trouble. He's always seemingly saying the right things doing the right things, as far as we know. You have to qualify everything today. <laughs> but he's been a model player, as have so many others in our game. So, yes, if he got to that level, Jason, there's no question. It would be a talking point. It would be national news. The level of Ripken with the emotion, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. But, you know, the other thing is... It, I'd like to find out. Yeah, I would love to find out. Um it would be cool if somebody was actually chasing him the way McGuire had Sosa chasing him and Maris had Mantle chasing him. That would that would make for a great plot line. You know, if it was Otani, somebody like that, even better, Vladdy, that could be really fun. Just to restore the luster of the home run and the home run records instead of thinking about the whole PED debacle. Um, be well, of really course, cool. we'd be arguing about the ball if this came to pass. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. they snuck in the lively ball again. <laughs> but that's the world we live in today. It's not quite as pure as it might have you been think? before. Not, yeah, not that it was ever pure. No, do you think? All right, I, I agree with you, though. Uh, I would love to see what would happen. Maybe we'll find out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
All right, it's time to welcome in this week's special guest. It is Jeff Rancourt, voice of the Braves on Bally Sports South, voice of October and Tuesday nights on TBS. Also, voice of reason, wit and wisdom, and great go- great moments in golf all the rest of the time. <laughs> Jeff, welcome to Starkville. Thank you, man. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate you having me. Uh, back at you. I'm sorry to announce there's no Doug Glanville this week. He's... Just the whole thing about flying around America, announcing baseball games has gotten the best of them once again. So it's just you and me. You can feel free to hang up now if that's a problem. No, no, we're good. (laughs) Okay. It's funny, nobody hangs up when I, all right. Nobody hangs up when I tell them that. I'm I'm honored. That's Um, because they like you. Let's go with that. Um, I I know that uh, you two have an epic travel story you want to add to our never-ending series of them, but... Why don't we save that for later? Because we should really talk about that Braves team you spend your days watching. Uh, they just won 14 games in a row before this weekend. Uh, tell me what you've seen that has made that streak possible. I'll tell you what, man. Th- this team has baffled me for two years because for four months last year, they were a 500 team. <laughs> And then all of a sudden they go on that great run. Granted, they went and got Solaire and, um, you know, Jock Peters, Tanetti Rosario, but it's kind of, they've done it again. They just, I, Jason, I didn't expect them to get off to a huge start. You know, you win a world series, all the stuff that was going on, it's tough to fully get focused, but I did think that they would get it together. Uh, I guess you could say a little quicker <laughs> than they <laughs> But with that being said, there's a lot of good players on that team. There's a lot of pros. I think a couple things. I think it was huge having Michael Harris come up, go to center field. You were able to move Adam Duvall back to left field. And then, of course, Ronald Acuna is now healthy and in right field every day. All of a sudden, you have one of the best outfield defenses in baseball. When Ronald wasn't playing, when Adam Duvall was in center field, you had Marcelo Zuna in left field. Um, You were filling the gaps in right field. So, you know, I'll be honest with you, the outfield defense was not great for the first uh, five, six weeks of the season. And, you know, then they got going. Matt Olson had to, you know, he got off to the great start for two weeks. And then after that, he kind of, you know, settled down. So I think, look, everybody finally has has gotten going. And I also think it was a kick in the butt. You know, at the end of the day, the Mets, I don't think the Braves thought the Mets would be as as good as they were. And when you look up and you see yourself 10, 11 games down, you kind of go, wow, we better get going here. And so I think they finally got it going. And now the pitching rotation has kind of stabilized itself, too. Yeah, this was not the year to wait till August to get over 500 no. and think you're going to win the World Series. Don't recommend that. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it can't happen. And Snit told the team that. He said, you can't just sprinkle fairy dust in August. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, last year's team – even though it won the World Series, even that team never had a stretch quite like this. Wondering how you would compare those two teams. Uh, is this team as good as the Braves of last August, September, and October? Um, I think they had the ability to be. I, I think you look at it from a standpoint of, you know, I think Spencer Strider coming in the rotation has been huge. All of a sudden you have five guys now that every five days you feel comfortable throwing out there on the mound for a while you know i think the braves tried six guys in like the span of 
nine times through the rotation in that fifth spot. So, you know, until Mike, and then if Mike Soroka comes back after the all-star break, you got options everywhere. What you want to, you can do a six man for a little bit. You can throw Strider back in that seventh, eighth inning role before Kenley Jansen. So, you know, there's a lot of options, but I think the thing this team is now is lengthened again in the lineup. And that was what they were last year. They could score at any time in the lineup and earlier this year, man, the bottom part of the lineup wasn't out. They, there was three, four innings where, you know, they were out the whole way through the lineup, and they do not have that anymore. Yeah, of course, this team just lost Ozzy Albies. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've always looked at Ozzy as one of the most important and most dependable players on that team. You know, leader, energizer, stuff, uh, day-to-day force. What do you think they feel the loss of Ozzy Albies the most? In the clubhouse, for sure, man. I mean, that guy, you said it. He was the heart and soul of that team as far as, you know, he, he's that guy. He reminds me so much of Edgar Renneria and, like, Martin Prado. Those are the two guys that I played with that, you know, they have the ability, you know, they're Latin players, but yet they have the ability to bring everybody together in that clubhouse and, and kind of mold you as a team. And not to mention they show up and they play the game the right way every day and put up numbers. And that did hurt, you know, not having him for the next six to eight weeks is going to be tough. With that being said, I think the best thing is knowing that he's going to be back. And then I love it. He's going to travel. He's going to be around the team because that's the guy you don't want to just take away from a locker room for six to eight weeks. He's too valuable. He means too much to too many guys in there. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that's gotten a lot of attention is Brian Snitker's team meeting right before this streak began. And hey, you've been in plenty of team meetings in your day, and most of them accomplish about as much as when guys change how high they wear their pants. No. You know? But why did this one have the impact it did, do you think? Well, I think because he never has meetings. I remember Bobby Cox never having meetings. Jason, he always said, meetings are for teams that lose. You have too many of them losing. <laughs> And Snit's the type of guy, he never comes in the locker room. He wants those players, you police your own locker room, that's your deal, just like his office is his deal. I think in this aspect right here, though, he was watching guys play too comfortable between you and I. He was watching guys not, um, I don't want to say not play hard, but not play with that edge that you need night in and night out. And that's when I know Smith, you know, he talked to me and said, I'm not putting up with this. I I can lose. I can put up with losing streaks, but I can't put up with not feeling like the guys are landed on the line every single night as hard as they could. And I think it was just a reminder, look, every team needs that sometimes. I I think we all need that. Let's be honest in any profession. Um, you know, you need a kick in the rear sometimes. And I'll tell you, he did that at the perfect time because you and I both know the Braves had a favorable schedule for about a three-week stretch that they needed to be able to take advantage of, uh, and they were able to do that. Yeah, that worked. Um, you know, it's a really interesting phenomenon that you just brought up. Uh, Charlie Manuel used to talk to me about that all the time with those Phillies teams. And I understand why guys get comfortable. Um you know, when you wait your whole life to do that thing you've been dreaming of and then you do it, it's hard as humans to have that thing be as important then as it was before. Do you think that's all this is or is it more complicated than that? No, I think you're right. I mean, I think, look, the one thing about baseball, you, you and I can both agree, it's a long season. I think it's too long of a season. And... 
you know, you play so many games that it's hard every night to feel like you, you're going out there and just balls to the wall, giving everything you got on every single play. It's tough. It is really tough. There's not many guys that can do it. Football, you got 16 games. You know you're doing it. Basketball, I mean, you play half the games, but you know in well in basketball, those guys take a day off every 10 days, you know, even from playing. They don't even dress. That's not the case in our game. In our game, for the most part, these guys – you know, put their clothes on and go out there every single night. And so I think sometimes you just need a gentle reminder that, hey, you are lucky you're playing in the big leagues. You're getting played. Look, like those Phillies teams you talked about, they played in front of 40,000 every night at Citizens Bank Park. That place is sold out every night. It's kind of how Truist Park is right now. I mean, yeah. every night right now, those guys are getting to play in front of a packed stadium. So I think you sometimes you need a little reminder, like you need to go out there and give these fans a show. And, and this team's done that now. For sure. Um, you know, I can't believe we got this far into the conversation without mentioning the name of a guy named Freddie Freeman. Right? Who? Who's that? Yeah, right? Remember him? He, he, uh, here's another thing you should look for. He's coming back to Atlanta. Yeah. This coming weekend as a Dodger. And, you know, since we're on that subject of Philadelphia versus Atlanta, I've seen players in Philadelphia, where I live, booed relentlessly just for leaving as a free agent, even after their team won a World Series. Uh, Jason Worth could tell you all about it. Yeah. But is it safe to assume there will be zero boos for Freddie? Let me tell you, Jason, <laughs> uh, you know, I know Jason Worth and, and how it kind of, you know, went out. You don't love that. I, it reminds me of, you know, I liken that to Chase Utley when he came back to, to town and that place went absolutely nuts for him. And, if if someone boos Freddie, I'll be honest with you. I will be the first one to get in their face and ask them what <laughs> they thinking. Um, this guy gave everything to this town for eleven years, and do do I wish he was here? Absolutely. Does does Freddie wish he was here? Probably in a way. I know that you know, but things happen, and it doesn't always work out that way. With that being said, that guy delivered a championship to this city, and. You know, something that football, basketball, and even the Braves until 95 had never been able to do. And so, you know what? He, he has meant the world to this city. You know, my kids wear Freddie Freeman jerseys. Uh, you know, it actually was funny was when Freddie left, I actually told my kids, well, we all wear my jersey now to the game when you come. And, uh, How's that going, by the way? We had to order Matt Olson jerseys. So, so they're not even still wearing mine. But... You know, with that being said, you you appreciate generational players. What he did for this city was incredible. And I hope Friday night when he walks up to the plate, I hope he feels all the love that this city has for him. Yeah, you, you know, he just said the magic words that you think probably in his heart, Freddie wishes he were still there. And Ken Rosenthal and I were talking about this earlier, about what happened with Freddie. I What's your view of this? Why do you think he's a Dodger and not a Brave right now? I think there was a lot of breakdown in communication and so many different levels. And I, I would think if you probably got the eight to ten people that really were involved in the day in, day out, they probably almost wish, why didn't we get together and get locked in a room for three hours? And, you know, probably would have figured it out. Look, I think there's a couple of things. I think COVID, first of all, in 20 with only playing half a season financially, the numbers, if COVID never happened, Freddie was locked up before 
this 2020 season or 2021 Two, the lockout. If the lockout never happened, I think Freddie would have been locked up. If you gave all off season for them to really continue to talk, I think it would have gotten done. Problem was, was, you know, as well as I do, that lockout got over guys were going to spring training and it happened so quick. And I just think before anybody knew what happened, that it fell apart. Um, you know, I do with all my heart, you know, Freddie's a good buddy of mine. We still talk quite a bit, but uh, I, I do think that you will see him come back and finish his career in Atlanta someday. I, I truly Interesting. do. Wow. I do. Yeah. I was, I was in that Braves clubhouse. Um, that that day that Matt Olson rolled in, yep, and uh, that was a that was a team. It was a, in a little bit of a state of shock, and you know you kind of alluded to this. What do you, what do you think would have happened if before Alex Anthopoulos had made that deal, he'd have called Freddie and said, "Let's talk about this one last time. If not, here's what I'm about to do." I, you're right. And I think that um, I think on the other side, I think Freddie would like to have that conversation um, to have a chance, you know, look, not no disrespect to, to L.A. You know, I mean, he look, he's going to be great there. I saw, you know, I went out there and did the Tuesday night game when the Braves played the Dodgers and, and Dave Roberts. I love Dave. He came up to me and said, what do I need to know about this guy? I said, bat him second every single day play him first and get the hell out of the way. You know, <laughs> all you got to do. I said, you will never coach an easier player for your team. And I saw Doc last week when I was out there for the Angels Dodgers Tuesday night game. And that's what he told me. He goes, man, it's unbelievable. You're right. I mean, you just, you just put him in there and you, you get out of the way. So he's going to do great out there. I just, I, I just, in my heart, I know that Freddie's heart was here in Atlanta, but you know, as well as I do, it doesn't always end up that way. And unfortunately this time at that, yeah, sometimes baseball happens. Yeah, it happened. And let me ask you about the Braves, the hole he leaves or the hole he left in the Braves. Uh, Freddie was that guy that Snit texted or checked in with when he needed to run something past the clubhouse. Heck, he was the guy that Alex would check in with. Yeah, uh, he was such an important stabilizing force on and off the field, and especially off the field more than I think people realize. Have you seen someone who has stepped into that role? Um, I know that that was a big topic this spring. Well, the guy that slowly is doing it for me is Dansby Swanson. Now, understand this. Dansby's in a tough predicament because here he is a agent <laughs> this year. With the same agent. With the yeah. same agent. So it's like, oh, God, here we go again. And, and I, between you and me, I know it's funny and we laugh, but I hope between both of them that they, everybody's learned something from what happened in the Freddie thing. And I hope that that communication does not go because Dansby is a winning player. Um, you know, he brings so much to this club. So I think you've started to see him, you know, when the Freddie thing happened, you know, I play golf, you know, three days a week here in Atlanta with Brian McCann and Mark DeRosa. And we talked and talked and talked about the Freddie thing before it happened, while it was happening and after and Brian told me, he said, that's going to leave a void in that clubhouse that is going to be huge. I thought it would leave a void. I didn't know it would be as big as it was, Jason. And I think that's part of the reason the Braves got off to that start that they were. You know, Ron Lacuna made his uh, mention of Freddie about how he felt, you know, the day before opening day. 
And what that is more than anything, you know it as well as I do. Maybe he didn't love him because maybe he's the one that sat there and said, hey, don't do this. Don't do that. This is the way we do things. And every team needs a guy like that. Not not in a not in an a-hole-ish kind of way, but more of, hey, let's get going. Let's do this. And that was Freddie. So I think you're starting to see that gap close in the locker room. I think Dansby's taken some some things. I think Matt Olson's finally getting more comfortable, able to kind of, you know, lead in a way um, that's possible. And Ozzy's that other guy. So I think you're starting to see it, but I think it left a huge void. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Let me ask you how you assess Matt Olson and his fit so far. It's you know, it's really interesting to compare the two players. Uh, Matt has more homers than Freddie. Uh, Matt's on pace to hit 65 doubles, so he's got more extra base hits than Freddie. But still, Freddie still has the higher average by, I think, 40 points, the higher OPS. Is it even fair to compare them or... As neither of them or can neither of them ever escape that comparison. They're different players. You, you know, I think that's the thing. Freddie, for one of the, for the last 12 years, has been one of the top three most consistent hitters in all of baseball. And by that, I mean, he reminds me of Chipper when he's almost slump proof because he can go over seven and he's going to take three walks during that time. And then he's going to jam job one to left field, <laughs> get himself right back on track. Matt's going to ride a roller coaster more than Freddie is. He, he is. He to me, his lulls are going to be a little bit lower. Now, with that being said, I think Freddie or Matt's got massive power potential. He start you're starting to see it, starting to get comfortable hitting the doubles, driving and runs. So, you know what? I, I said it then. I think Alex did the best job at getting the best first baseman for the next eight years. Once he realized. You know, the whole Freddie thing kind of fell apart. And, and I think Dansby said it best in the fact that he said it's OK to feel two different ways. You know, it's OK to be sad that you're losing a guy like Freddie, but also be excited because you got a talent like Matt coming back in the fold. Yeah, if Freddie were going to leave, then Matt Olson's Freddie 2.0. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, we, we mentioned Acuna in passing, but. I'm amazed by that guy. Uh, last 30 games, almost a 900 OPS, back in right field regularly again. Uh, I can't believe the way he's running. Like I know talking to Snit this spring, I don't think he expected this. Tell me what you see in Ronald so far. He's one of the top three players in the game. I mean, I, I truly believe that. I, I look at, you know, I, I look at him. Um, you know, Fernando Tatis and, and Mike Trout for me are the three great, great players. And what I mean by that is like Juan Soto might be the best hitter in the game. But when you're talking everything, the defense, the bat, the base running, the power, the average, you know, he can do it all. And, and it amazes me. You know, I get the great privilege of watching him and announcing him night in and night out. And if you go slow down his bat angle, I mean, his bat is flat. There's no movement in it, and it goes straight to the ball. And it, it's amazing that he's able to generate that type of power, you know, without, you know, you see a lot of guys, Jason, they got to cock the bat a little bit. They got to wrap it a little bit to get a little extra on it. He has to do none of that. And uh, that's almost unheard of. So, you know, for me, it's he's a talent that, you know, you sit there and you get to watch every day. And it just, he honestly does something almost every night that amazes you, that you're kind of like, man, I didn't know you could do that. I, you know, I'm just going to make that point here. That's the thing we don't talk about enough is they're not that f 
many humans who you can say every night, he might do something that you've never seen before. He's got that ability to do it. Uh, he's, uh, he does stuff that other players don't do, can't do, have never done. Um, why, why are we not more vocal about that? And is there a thing that Ronald has done at any point, doesn't have to be this year, that sticks in your brain? Well, first off, I'll tell you, I'd love to see us in our game market our stars a lot bigger. I think you want to talk about reaching the young kids, getting them to be the next Mookie Betts, the next Mike Trout, the next Ronald Acuna. I, I think we need to market them better, 100%. Have their faces everywhere. But that being said, you know, I think it's – he's a guy that I would go pay – just to see. I mean, if the Braves are the worst team in baseball, but he was in that lineup every night, I want to go out there and I want to watch him. And, you know, it's like you said, it's it's the whole package, uh, Jason. And there's not many guys that can do it all. I mean, there's there's literally not one flaw in his game. You know, you could sit there for some people and say, well, his plate discipline. He's got phenomenal plate discipline. Rarely ever goes outside the zone on sliders, you know, low and away. So, you know, he kind of checks every box for you. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the most, I think, dynamic leadoff hitter in baseball. Dynamics. Are, that's a good word for him. Just a charisma to that guy. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a little about the NL East. Um, can the Mets be caught? Can the Phillies and Braves and Mets all make the playoffs? How, how are you looking at this? Well, you know, for me, I was really kind of hoping that this would be the year that you see, you know, the the Mets, Phillies, and Braves battle till the end of the season. Um, you know, I, I've been waiting to see these three teams. I felt like for so long now they've right been on the verge of doing it. Look, the, the Mets are tough. I think the biggest thing that separates the Mets this year offensively, they're really good. Lindor's bounced back. You know, you look at um, uh, Alonzo's bounce back. You know, I think the big thing with them is when are they getting to Grom and when are they going to get Scherzer back? And I think the great thing, too, is that the Braves and Mets have only played four games. So they're going to have 15 wow. coming up between the two teams, which is outstanding. It's going to be so much fun. And I think the Phillies, like the Phillies have been too much talent for them not to put be over 500 and do this like they're doing it. So I think it's going to be a heck of a race. I don't know if they're going to sneak three teams in there. But I do know I have a great feeling there's going to be two teams coming out of this division. Yeah, I think so, too. I, it's really fun to try to think about the the National League. Like who, like, who doesn't get in out of Mets, Braves, Phillies, Cardinals, Brewers, Dodgers, Padres, Giants? Not enough room for everybody. No, there's not. And that's why I said I think you'll see someone separate themselves, you know, at some point. And, um, you know, but it's going to be interesting. I, I think, you know, I, I think we can all agree the Dodgers are going to get in. I think the Brewers pitching staff is just too good. I think eventually they're going to have to take over, you know, and I and I, I think both the Mets and Braves make it. I think the question mark would be could the Phillies, you know, take over the Giants or, or somebody like that, you know. But, you know, as well as I do, a lot can happen in the last three, four months. And, and the name of this game is staying healthy. And, you know, those teams are going to have to stay healthy. You're starting to see yeah. Padres, Machado, for low. I mean, that's the thing. You've got to have your star players stay healthy. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, let, let, let's branch out a little bit. Um, there was a famous game in 2015 where you pitched, and you almost threw 50 pitches <laughs> in that game. Yeah. And like, that was kind of a novelty at the time. Now you look up, there's like four position players pitching every day. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you remember about when you pitched, but are you amazed by how often we see this now? And what do you think it says about where the game is? I think it says that teams throw in the towel sometimes late in the game. I'll say this, Bobby Cox never did it. Uh, I, I, we never saw a position player pitch for Bobby Cox. Um, he always said, I got, I got to have an arm, someone that can do an inning for me. And, you know, I think Bobby was kind of, um, you know, kind of in his element with that. And I agree. I think it is too much, you know, you get the 15, 16 runs. I'm, I'm fine. But the fact, especially too, Jason, that the roster has been expanded. So almost every team has one or two more pitchers than they've ever had. I think that goes to shade though, that again, the games change so much. And the fact that starters, you know, just don't go deep in a game. So some of these bullpen guys are used so much. Yeah, you know they we're we've got these roster limits kicking in now, where you can't have more than thirteen pitches on your team. That's still an eight man bullpen, and that was yep. supposed to incentivize starters to pitch more innings. Instead, it's incentivizing the backup shortstop <laughs> to it's pitch more innings. It's unreal. I mean, I agree, and that's that's the whole thing. I mean, I, I would like to see a, a rule put in where. You know, you can only do it so often because I agree. You're seeing it every night right now. I mean, almost yeah. every single night. Is your arm still sore from that game you pitched in Baltimore? No, man. I had so much fun. You know, it was sore in my left butt cheek. I never realized <laughs> how hard it was landing so many times, but it was so much fun. <laughs> I, I think he might still be out there if Chase Utley hadn't gone to the mound and said, enough. A hundred percent. Him and Bob McClure threw down on the mound. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, all right, two more things before I let you go. One is, you were a guy when you played, you had so much fun. You were mixed up in so many pranks. Oh, yeah. And I have, I have to admit, the, the one that I laugh about the most is one that was actually sprung on you. This is in the minor leagues when your teammates locked you in the, was the coach's bathroom? Yes. Is that what it was? Pat Murphy. What was the story there? Pat Murphy was our manager, and I love Pat. Pat is an unbelievable baseball guy. Where were you playing? At... Yeah, I was playing in El Paso. El Paso, right. San Diego's AAA team. And, you know, if there's one thing you get spoiled out in the big leagues all the years, you got great bathrooms in these locker rooms. Now, we were in Fresno, and, I mean, I can't say the same there. The bathroom were great. So, I used to always sneak into Murph's office and go to the bathroom when he would go outside for uh, with the pitchers for stretch and BP. Well, the players got to the point where they were like, all right. And, and I think Murph knew it. So I snuck out to go to the bathroom or I snuck in his office and they locked the door. They tied it. I mean, locked the heck out of it. There was nothing I could do. So I was in the bathroom for an hour and I actually stacked like six of these little books on the toilet, the top of the toilet. And I climbed through the ceiling, uh, came out the other side in the locker room and actually still made it out for my group of DP with everybody just rolling. You climbed through the ceiling. What was I, up there? Uh, I mean, it was just, you know, it's like your ceiling at home. I mean, it was just, you know, some sty some styrofoam, some some filling, and and uh, got through to the other side, made it down in the locker room, put my shoes on, and went out for BP. <laughs> now, you had to retaliate against somebody for that one, didn't you? You know what? I, I do a lot of the times, but there, you know, I felt like it was my fault you know when you're going to the coach's bathroom every single day not only the coach the manager 
you know, eventually you probably deserve that. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think you just confessed that that's, that is man enough of you there. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well done. All right. Now, uh, one last thing uh, we've gotten on a roll here, having our guests tell their favorite crazy travel story. Uh, I promised I would let you tell yours. Yeah. We've waited long enough. Jeff, go. All right. So the all-star game, if you remember, you they used to have Sunday night baseball before the all-star game. And we happened to be at two or three different times because we played finished on the West Coast. So we were playing in San Francisco and had a 508 Pacific West, uh, you know, um, Sunday night game before the all-star break. Well, my whole family was at the beach and I wanted to get there the next morning. <laughs> By getting there, I had to hit the red eye at 10, 1002 or something that night, like right after wow. a couple minutes. If not, I had to wait until the next morning at seven to fly out from San Fran. I wasn't going to get home to land and then fly. We got a place on the panhandle. So I was not going to get there to like 10 o'clock on the beach that night. But if I could make the red eye, I was there by 830 the next morning. <laughs> so I've got I was asking the clubbies for three days if they knew someone that could possibly, I mean, be ready to go the moment the game was done. And I mean, literally, I wasn't going to shower. I was literally just going to freaking let's go let's be gone he said well we have a we have a cop that that we know real well might drive you and i'm like well he didn't have to do that but so i just figured he'd come in his car well i literally get done with the game and there's a cop full suit cop car waiting for me outside and we get in the back seat and it's probably a game took a while you know sunday night baseball so you got two and a half minutes between in you know and half innings he went a hundred miles per hour and i'm not kidding you a hundred miles per hour <laughs> At like nine fifteen at night, from from uh, from San Francisco's ballpark to the airport, I literally jumped out, and I I literally was like one minute from the gates closing, and I got on my flight. Now I'll be honest with you, I felt bad for the person sitting by me because I had to stink. I just sweated for three and a half hours, <laughs> and I sweated probably worse in the cop car because I've never been I've never gone so fast in all my life, and I'm like this has got to be illegal using a cop car with cop lights to get to the airport for me to get to a flight for the all-star break. But, and of course the cop would not let me give him any money because he didn't want to look like a bribe, but I ended up taking care of him. I got his address and I sent him a lot of good wine from Napa Valley uh, from out there. But I mean, I, I, when I tell you, he literally pulled out of that park and I mean, he was on the interstate in 35 seconds and was out to be airport in 10 minutes. And so, I didn't. Wait, so wait, he had the lights. He had the lights flashing. Siren going too. Siren going the whole deal. No way. Get out of the way. It was, I felt like the president of the United States getting the airport. It was like I got somebody really important here. Little did he know he had a 25 year old kid just wanting to get to the beach for for uh, the All Star break. So were you in the back seat where like the guy he just arrested for absolutely, shoplifting would have been? Absolutely, and that's what made it even better. You know, because my bag was back there. It was, I felt like I was in trouble. It was. It was great. So everybody who's watching this car fly by is thinking, he just caught somebody on the 10 most wanted list. Uh, no, it, was <laughs> so it was like he was getting me to jail fast before I escaped. And someone, you know, you see in one of those movies where they bust you out. Uh, but I'll never forget it to this day. It was one of the coolest little experiences I've ever had. Oh, that is so good. So good. That's that's right up there in our travel <laughs> nightmare hall of fame is yeah. that really a nightmare it worked out great it ended up working out great no doubt like i said i got to the beach the only problem was i was so tired the next day i actually fell asleep on the beach for a couple hours and i, I looked like a lobster man i was burnt 
You're supposed to fall asleep on the beach. That's, That's true. What it's there for. In shade, not under the sun. <laughs> yeah, good point. Hey, Jeff, always so much fun to visit with you, man. I look yep. forward to seeing you at a ballpark soon. All the best, and be sure to stay out of the manager's bathroom. Oh, God. Well, Snit, Snit will kick me out in two seconds, so I don't have to worry about the Braves manager. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks. Jeff, you're the best. Thank you. All right, buddy. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paolo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Ken is back with us, and I know how excited he is to be part of Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Ken, as I'm sure you know, Doug and I officially stink at this again now that our off-season hot streak's over. So I don't want to apply any pressure here, but I'm counting on you to step in, get this one right, and maybe you can turn Doug into the Wally Pip of trivia. Can I lean on you to do that? You can lean on me, but I seriously doubt I'm going to turn <laughs> Doug into anything. My trivia is trivial in the way I answer so we'll see how I do but I'm not counting on much you shouldn't count on much either oh good well we we can't look all we can do is get it wrong like we do it every week anyway so uh just to make this extra tough we don't have just any old trivia guest star this week we got one of the best ever it's Paul Hambo Hamakades from ESPN I didn't pronounce that very well, but close enough, right? <laughs> he's, he's back to stump us again. Hembo, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I, I don't appreciate you lowering expectations to grease the skids here, Jason. I mean, you're in the freaking <laughs> Hall of Fame. I, I am a 
a, I, I have a graduate degree from the Jason Stark School of Sports <laughs> Trivia here. So I'm going up. I mean, I'm, I'm playing horse against Steph Curry. I am, I am bunting balls into a bucket with Eddie Collins. Like, I am going to do my best here, but I'm not confident. I'm not confident that I will stump you this time. I, all right, look, I, have a, I do have a picture of myself in the Hall of Fame. I'm not in the Trivia Hall of Fame, though. That's pretty sure. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm assuming that you are extra stoked that you have the chance to stump me and Ken Rosenthal this week. Am I right? Yes. I mean, this is, this is something that people would, would, would pay money for, for an, in an auction. So like the fact that I'm doing this unsolicited, like, so yeah. is a thrill. So, I mean, I've watched you guys and read you guys for years and years and years. So we will have a blast with this one. My hope is that I stump you, but I'm not, again, not confident that I will do the trick. All right. We're going to waive our usual fee. <laughs> you do this. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> hey, for, for those who don't know, uh, Hembo's the statistical genius behind my old friend Mike Greenberg on the Get Up TV show and Greenies radio show at ESPN. And uh, that sounds pretty glamorous. I know it does. But why don't you tell people what time your alarm rang this morning? My alarm rang this morning at 3 o'clock a.m., as it has for about every weekday morning since 2015, <laughs> I think that it was. So what you see what you see on TV is obviously, obviously, in this case, not just another pretty face. There's obviously a lot that goes into it. <laughs> I cut my teeth, though, on Mike and Mike, the radio show in the morning, for which, Jason, you were a weekly listener for even longer than I was the researcher. And so I remember it being an absolute thrill the first time we got to do this together. Never would have imagined I'd be in a position something you myself. Yeah, Hembo used to have to fact check my trivia questions. Not a good gig. <laughs> I, I, I used to, but I did used to stump Greeny and Golick every week with trivia, pretty much every week. Yeah. And now Hembo's here to exact a little revenge. <laughs> Time to see how that goes. All right, all right, man, hit us with your question. All right, so I was doing some Manny Machado research last week. Last week he passed the fifteen hundred hit threshold for his career halfway to 3000 last season at the very end of last season he recorded his 250th home run so the way that my brain works is the same way that your brain works right. jason i thought to myself <laughs> wow 1500 hits and 250 home runs he's not 30 years old yet i wonder how many players have done both of those things before they turned 30 well as it turns out he was the 17th player to do both of those things before turning 30 30 but he's only the third third baseman to do the trick. Now, to be clear, I'm not counting Alex Rodriguez as a third baseman. He played shortstop in his 20s, nor am I counting Miguel Cabrera, both of whom I'd imagine you guessed right off the top of your head. He primarily played first base, although he played plenty of third base in his 20s as well. So neither of those players would be correct because of that qualifier. So the question for you in this long on-ramp here is, <laughs> who are the other two players to collect 1,500 hits and 250 home runs while playing third base before turning 30 years old. All right. Uh, what could go wrong here, Ken? <laughs> oh, just about everything. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, one of these almost has to be Eddie Matthews because he's the answer to every trivia question about third baseman. He's like the Todd Helton third baseman. So I, let's just assume he's one of the answers, probably incorrectly, but that way we can concentrate on getting the other one wrong. Um, <laughs> we have to be talking about players who were all-time greats, so that helps us. Um, I, you know, I covered Mike Schmidt, I, I, or at least part of his career. I'm going to guess he didn't get enough hits, had the homers down. George Brett would be the opposite. 
I'm going to guess he didn't hit enough homers. You know, Chipper's always a good guess. Let's leave him on the table. Uh, Nolan Arenado's a great stealth trivia answer, but he, he's not there, I believe. Same with Scott Rowland. Pie Trainer didn't hit enough home runs. Ron Sano, I was thinking he didn't put up those kinds of numbers. So I, I, I'm not sure. Those are just some of the names I thought through. Ken, what are you thinking? Well, I know it's not Wayne Garrett, so I'll have to go from there. <laughs> the guy that came to mind immediately for me was Adrian Beltre. Now, I know it's Good recency one. bias, but the reason I thought of Beltre is because his career started when he was 19. So I'm looking for a guy whose career started at a very young age, and beyond the ones you mentioned, Jason, Beltre would be the guy that would come to my mind. That's that's a really good name. All right, so we want to agree that Eddie Matthews is one guess we're going to make. I'll give you the Eddie Matthews for sure, because <laughs> he started he, he he reached the big leagues young too. So that would mean yes. we're between Beltre and Chipper on the other. You know, my one worry on Beltre is like he had that one big home run season with the Dodgers. Um, but early in his career, he didn't. But then have, he went to Seattle. Yeah, he didn't have the big. Let's power go with Chipper. Stroke, but I like the Adrian Beltre guess because again, he started young. Chipper was a. High I school like you know what though, Jason. If you remember, he did have the big forty-eight homer season at age twenty-five. Signed that off season with the Mariners, and then his power, for whatever reason, Safeco might have been a big part of it, or perhaps changing teams, whoever, whatever. But. I would lean toward Chipper, whose career also started at a very young age. Yeah, no doubt. All right, well. <laughs> Hembo's well, we, sitting there ready to laugh at both Yeah, of us. like what we normally do is talk ourselves out of the right answer. Probably did that again. But all right, so we want to, we're going to go with Eddie Matthews and Chipper as our final answer. All Braves all the time. Okay, why not? Hembo, is there any chance it's Eddie Matthews and Chipper Jones? You, as you predicted, are half right. <laughs> so here are the particulars. Eddie Matthews is correct. 1,548 hits, 370 home runs before wow. turning 30. He made it easily. Yeah. Chipper Jones, however, is incorrect. Chipper, 1,263 hits in his 20s. 230 home runs in his 20s. You recall Chipper missed the entire 94 season yeah, with that injury. Right. Didn't play a full season until he was sure. 23 years old. So Chipper is incorrect. Eddie Matthews is correct. So what do we do now, Jason? Just keep guessing third baseman? For well, the rest I was of hoping he might actually give us the right answer. <laughs> okay. If you, if you want, wait, if you you want, want, you to... want... Wait, it's not... The other guy is not somebody we've even mentioned? So... The right, the right guy is someone that you have mentioned, but dismissed. So Adrian Beltre is super close. Beltre had 1,582 hits, 242 home runs wow. in his 20s. You're eight home runs off on Beltre. The right answer was mentioned. He was dismissed for reasons approximating it couldn't have been him, right? Actually, it was him. So the name was uttered by Jason Stark. Oh, God. All right, so let's see. Who, who did I mention? Uh, I mentioned Arenado. Schmidt, Brett. I mentioned, well, Schmidt. Yeah, Schmidt, Arenado, Roland, Brett, Trainer, Sano. Brett, all right. I, I, Schmidt walked, hmm. he was, he was a, he was a two, 
but two or three true outcomes guy before that was cool. Yeah. Uh, George Brett, he got started young. Yeah, I, let's go George Brett. What do you think? Yes, I'll, I I don't know. I'm I'm leaning towards Schmidt. I know he, I know you? you're right. The hits probably won't be there, but he, he compiled right. a okay. ton of stats in his career. All right, career. since I was leaning on Ken Rosenthal to save us this week, he's going Mike Schmidt. Uh, Mike Schmidt is incorrect. <laughs> so you, as you guys are peppering this list of players that you once named, um, George Brett short on the home runs, only 134 home yeah, runs right. in George Brett's 20s. And Mike Schmidt doesn't come close with the hits like you suspected. <laughs> the correct answer is Ron Sancho. Oh. The correct answer is Ron Sancho. Ron Sancho, the owner of nearly 1,600 hits, 1,592 hits, and 253 home runs wow. in Ron Santo's 20s. The list is Santo, Matthews, Machado. And you can so, ask again, folks, <laughs> how come the BBWAA screwed up with Ron Santo with the Hall of Fame for so long? <laughs> I think we should modify his Hall of Fame plaque now with this new information. That we've <laughs> He's in the Trivia Hall of Fame now. Are we getting credit for this? We're not getting credit for this. We guessed like 17 names before we got to him. You know, it, like, it just proves it doesn't matter who's involved in the trivia. Uh, we can get it wrong. Doug and I, I think we've missed 10 of our last 12, something like that. Now it's uh, Ken and I, are, we're 0-1. We, we really need a whole new concept for this segment. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of phoning a friend or just something. <laughs> but, but, like, here's the good news. Uh, the best part of this segment has not even happened yet because that's the part that involves the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, who pops on at times like this and plays some great play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, rescue us, will you? We are going to go with the Ron Santo highlight. It's not from his 20s, though. I really tried to find something from his 20s, but it's from a little bit later in his career. But it is a milestone, home run number 300. That's pretty well hit. Get ready for number 300. Back, back, back. A home run for Sato, the 300th of his career. September 21, 1971, Sato did it. Number 300. I hope they retrieve that ball for him. Now, it's funny. The, the reason they say that is because I don't know if it was renovations at Wrigley, but it went out to left field, and there was there's like no bleachers out there in the video. I don't know if they were redoing what? the bleachers or what. So it landed in, there was nobody to catch it. So hopefully they sent the ground screw out there or something to get him the ball. So that was what, Jack Brickhouse? Yeah. I don't... Back, 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 way hay? And, <laughs> what a call. Then they put the hey, hey on the screen with those really bad early 70s graphics. Yeah. It's good stuff. Oh, yeah. It's tremendous. All right. Well, that was great. Uh, Hembo, you are the man. Fantastic question. You are welcome back in Starkville anytime. Oh, that's very kind of you to say, my friend. When you phone a friend next time, have him help you with the answer, not just give you a question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's onto something, Ken. Smart man. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Strange but true. All right, Ken, it's the portion of the show I know you've waited for all day. It's strange but true, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I promise this will be an immaculate segment, okay? But um, first, I should probably let people listening to this know that Ken Rosenthal is a long-time co-conspirator in helping me keep track of weirdness and wildness. And uh, my enduring memory of you helping me was something that we both got way too caught up in. It goes back to May 5th, 1992. Do you remember what happened that day? I absolutely remember it. It was a Sam Horn triple. (laughs) Right. I was trying to tell Tim about this. He, He was dubious, but... Okay, here, let's set the scene. Sam Horn had gone five seasons into his big league career, almost a 1,000 plate appearances, and he had never hit a triple, which if you looked at him, you would understand it. A fleet of foot is not the expression we would use to describe big Sam Horn. But then, Ken, what happened that day, May 5th, 1992? All right, let's see if I can remember the details. You'll have to help me, Jason. So it was at Camden Yards. Yep. It was an afternoon game. Yep. And they were playing the Texas Rangers, the Orioles versus the Texas Rangers. I'm not sure who the left fielder was, but he was a defensively <laughs> challenged left fielder. I know that much. Sam hits a towering pop-up that should have been caught. It might not have been that towering. It might have been a, more of an extra base hit type than I'm describing it here. But it wasn't caught. It should have been caught. And Sam had to run around because the ball bounced away from the outfielder and the fun was on. So he gets the triple. If I recall correctly, and again, we're talking 30 years ago, but if I recall correctly, the Orioles lost that game pretty significantly or by a pretty significant margin. And I sidle up to Sam (laughs) after this blessed event occurs. And Sam, (laughs) who was mindful of the mood not being great in the clubhouse, just kind of turned to me and out of the side of his mouth said, got my triple. (laughs) (laughs) So I, if I recall, Jason, I had been on the phone with you after it happened. We didn't have cell phones back then telling us every moment of every game. So (laughs) I believe I had to tell you that this had happened. I don't think you were listening to the Orioles on the radio from Philadelphia that day. So he got the triple and it was it was really funny. That's all I can remember. Yeah, now, see, Sam my, was not a triples candidate. He was not Willie Wilson. That was it. That was the only one he ever got. And, you know, my recollection of this is that we were both, at that point, hanging on pretty much every Sam Hornet bat. Because it's it's really hard to go a 1,000 at bats in the big leagues with that triple. Okay. And I my recollection of this is I felt like... I, I remember you calling me as he was still rounding second and heading. Well, there third. would have been time. <laughs> there was plenty of time. Correct. Uh, but I probably exaggerated that in my own mind. I just know that 
that was a moment where we still laugh about because it didn't matter to anybody except you, me, and him. But it really mattered a lot to us. Now, actually, I'm looking at the box score right now. Kevin Reimer was indeed the left fielder. Uh, the Orioles lost 5-3. to three. They weren't blown out. So maybe it was actually even... There was even more of a reason for the clubhouse to be quiet. They had lost 5-3. It was kind of a closely played game. But that was the day, the blessed day. And guess who started the game for the Texas Rangers? You're not going to believe this one. Nolan Ryan. Pitcher for the, is not Nolan Ryan. It was Nolan Ryan, sure what? was. Now, who's Sam? Like we, have, we have to see who Sam's triple was off of. Um, that is not clear. If I check the play-by-play, I might find it. Hold on, Sam. Hold okay. on. This is, this is breaking Sam Horn It was coverage. off Nolan Ryan. Wow. How did we forget that? I'm not kidding. Bottom of the first, I don't know how we forgot that. <laughs> Ripken hit a home run right in front of Sam, and then Sam hit the triple. Uh, fly ball to deep left field, and it almost bounced off Kevin Reimer's head, if I recall correctly. All due respect to Kevin. What, what, what's wrong with us? Breaking, breaking coverage of Sam Horn's triple 30 years later. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, America. We're, we're <laughs> exactly right. You. All right, let's move along to... A, a current strange but true moment, or it was more than one, so moments, I guess. Uh, this was last Wednesday in Texas. The Astros are visiting the Rangers. So in the second inning this day, uh, the Astros pitcher is Luis Garcia, and he throws what's known as an immaculate inning. That's three strikeouts on nine pitches, three pitches each, very fun. But then, five innings later, uh, Luis Garcia is out of the game. Uh, they have a reliever. Phil Maton is in the game, on the mound. Why don't we listen to what happened next? It's great. And low goes down on three pitches. Maton has started out the inning with an opportunity for an immaculate inning. A little more than 100 immaculate innings in the history of Major League Baseball. So it's a much more rare feat than seeing a no-hitter. Here we go. Are you going to see history twice in one game? He yes! did it! That was incredible! You've got to be kidding me! Two, two immaculate innings! Two of them! In one game! That has to be a new Major League mark. That could not have ever happened before. Todd Callis and Jeff Blum, they were all over it. That is excellent work. Uh, so that makes two immaculate innings in one game. Incredible enough. But with the same three hitters at the plate. Oh, my God, that feels impossible, right? So uh, let, I'll just give you a little glimpse into my life these days now that I'm the chronicler of the weird and wild. This is what my life has come to. Uh, this was Wednesday afternoon, so I was on the phone pretty much nonstop. I get off the phone, take a quick glance at my iPad, and I, I'm going to give you a rough estimate of how many people have decided in the interim, they needed to alert me that this thing had just <laughs> happened. <laughs> like, I'm going to go with half a million. Okay? <laughs> because they don't just need to alert me. They want something from me. I need to amuse them and entertain them. <laughs> okay? so Damn straight. Yes. That's right. So, so I tried my best to live up to the, the, uh, the challenge. I tweeted a couple things to keep everybody happy. But I had a column to write the next day, the Weird and Wild column. So that night, sitting around watching baseball, just digging into this thing. And just a, a few of these tidbits that I dug up, because the Rangers, since their last 
immaculate inning thrown against them had had played baseball for 32 years. That's over 5,000 games. It's nearly 50,000 innings without any immaculate innings. And then they had two in one game with the same three hitters at the plate. So I needed to know what were the mathematical odds <laughs> of that happening. And here's the other thing that, that happens when you become the official chronicler of the weird and wild. Like you have people that feel like they want to join the weird and wild band. Okay. So people on Twitter always joining my band. I like that. <laughs> okay. So in the last, just in the last couple of months, I have a new, uh, new best friend, guy named Greg Stoll. And I don't know if you know this, but you should keep this on hand, Ken, because he invented this thing called the win expectancy calculator. You can try mm. it out at gregstoll.com. So no matter what the situation is in any game, uh, home team, visiting team, how many runs ahead or behind, how many outs there are, who's on base, whatever, <laughs> this thing will calculate their win probability in that moment. It's so Try it out. It's fantastic. But it means that Greg Stoll can calculate the odds of pretty much anything. So who did I call on? Greg Stoll. Okay. And he did the odds of two immaculate innings in basically the time it would take me to wash the dishes. You know what it taken me months? <laughs> he said, hey, I'm putting my kid to bed. Just give me a minute. And like two minutes later, he's got this thing done. It was just a miracle. So let me tell you what he found. I, I should note. He has updated those odds in the hours before this show, so they're a little different now than what you'll find in the column, but still. Uh, odds of one team throwing two immaculate innings in the same game would be 1 in 3.7 million. But wait, this is the same team throwing two immaculate innings in one game against the same three hitters. So those odds would be one in 33.6 million. And just to help me make sense of that, what he told me was this should happen once every 13,835 seasons. But it happened this season while I was trying to write a weird and wild column. So I appreciate it. I, like, I can I don't know how you, I was excited you got about that, but this took over my life for 24 hours. What's, like, again, what's wrong with me? Well, first of all, there is no one in this country that gets as excited as you do <laughs> about that. But, so that's that good, right? That's what you're saying? It's good? I'm not good saying thing? that's good. That okay. is why we are all blessed to have each week <laughs> the Weird and Wild column. And I've told you this, Jason, I think I might have even tweeted this recently. What I love about the column, and I'm going to blow your horn a little bit, and people are just going to have to tolerate it. So you would think, ah, the column, Jason writes it every week. It would eventually get stale, maybe, eh, whatever, these things. So much crazy stuff happens every (laughs) single week. And Jason is so adept at figuring out the context and bringing it to life that the column is amazing every week. It's like a new revelation Every single week, which to me makes it all the more amazing. But the whole thing starts with the fact that Jason does get 
more excited about this than anyone and more curious. That's the magic of it, the curiosity. That's what is the heart of this whole thing. So, Jason, when I saw it, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But it didn't occur to me <laughs> to start going to Stats and Elias and everybody else on the planet and saying, what's the probability or Greg Stoll, who I never heard of before you mentioned him. So that is the greatness of Jason Stark right there, folks. I, I appreciate it. Well, I, you know, the other thing is this happened on a Wednesday, which is when I start writing this column. So I actually had another lead to the column that was, you know, pretty much done. So none of that ever even appeared. I'm hoping to save it for this week. <laughs> now, this reminds me of something we had one day. Jason, we were in the press box in Philadelphia. I'm sorry for going back in time again. But <laughs> Mitch Williams was the Phillies closer. Oh, God. And actually, this was a night game. And Mitch Williams had blown another game as the Phillies closer, as was his want at that time. And Jason <laughs> told me, Mitch Williams is the wrecking ball of journalism. Yes. <laughs> it was the greatest line ever. You know, there's some there's some erratic closers out there now. I know that, but nobody destroyed more words of brilliant writing than Mitch Williams because, like, even when he converted the save, it was so nuts that whatever you thought the story was before he arrived, it wasn't the story anymore. <laughs> this guy loading the bases, one two walks and a hit batter, you know, throwing one strike out of the first 28 pitches, and then somehow striking out the side and getting the save. There's always something. So that's what you're... He was so compelling <laughs> that the 1993 World Series, which ends on one of the most memorable World Series home runs in history, I didn't write about Joe Carter that night. I wrote about Mitch, which was a... <laughs> A huge mistake, <laughs> but, but Mitch was an incredibly compelling figure, and it wasn't the first story I've ever blown. It won't be the last, but that was one of my more memorable screw-ups. I couldn't <laughs> stay away from Mitch. What's, uh, it's, I, I'll, it's probably my fault for telling you that, right? Just, <laughs> just always something with that guy. But all right, one more thing on, uh, on the Immaculate Eating, and we'll, we'll get off this topic, but... I've been thinking about this. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen an immaculate inning. And I've been at a lot of games. I've yeah. covered a lot of amazing pitchers. What about you? No, I don't recall ever seeing one. Right. And again, I don't know how many games I've been to over the years. It's a lot. And as you just pointed out with the odds, the odds are what was one in three million? Same team in the same game. Okay. So every 13,000 seasons, you'd see that. Right, thirteen thousand seasons. Yeah, we're gonna we're not gonna be around for thirteen thousand seasons. I don't probably, think probably not. But it just doesn't happen very often. Period. And yeah. I have not ever seen one. All right, so let's think about it. The two of us have covered baseball for something like seventy five years combined, or whatever it is, and we've never seen one of these. But if you went to that Astros Rangers game last Wednesday, you saw two. You would have seen two involving the same three hitters. And I think there's a word that explains that, Ken. I'm sure you know what it is. I want I want us to sing it together. Are you ready? One, two, three. Baseball. Baseball. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety absolutely free. Everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the fantastic writing in The Athletic, here's how you could do that. 
Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. That's $1 a month. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast because every show we pick a really fun listener trivia question. And then that listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So to do that, you can email us at stuckvilleattheathletic.com or you can tweet at us. To find me on Twitter, I'm at JasonST. That's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. And Glanville just spells his name. That's at D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. wonder how he came up with that one. Uh, also, remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag StarkvilleQS. So thanks to Ken Rosenthal for pinch hitting for Doug. Thanks to Jeff Francoeur for joining us. Thanks to Paul Hembikides for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow, it's roundtable day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville.